If you would, turn to Romans chapter 6. We're continuing in our study of Romans, going verse by verse, as we see the great and wonderful truths that the Word of God gives to us. And as we align our lives according to the Word of God, we need this message that is in Romans chapter 6. We have seen that in Romans chapter 6 that we've been, we're dead to sin and we're alive unto God because of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate it. Seth, put this up here. I don't know how to take it, but uh, he did put it up there. So, No, when you have a four-year-old and a 20-month-old living with you at the present, things happen to get broken. And one of them was my watch. And so I just asked him, what time is it I need to know? <laughs> so he left this for me. So that's why he did what he did. But going back to this, everyone, as we're teaching in this chapter, every one of us is a slave. Now, I know that has different connotations for this t- day and age, and we've been talking about this, and it's in the news. It's been in the news for the last couple of years about reparations for slavery and all kinds of things, but we understand from the Scripture we are a slave of Christ. We are a slave to righteousness. Last week we talked about it starting in verses 15 and going to verses 19. We described what Paul was doing in this passage. He was basically giving an answer to a twisted argument that basically said, should we sin because so that grace may increase, should we sin basically so uh, that we can continue to uh, not being under the law but under grace. And he says, no. We don't do that in very, very strong language. And so we see that he employed a current analogy, a spiritual application, and he gives a great acknowledgement, basically said, thanks be to God in verse 17, that you who were once slaves of sin have come obe- become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And then he makes this wonderful acclamation that tells us that we are now slaves to righteousness. We have been delivered, and he's given us this little simple address for us to understand that we need to present our members to God. We want to continue in verse 20. We want to continue in verse 20. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus." Here in this passage, beginning in verse 20, we see this a, a firm analysis of the situation that Paul gives to us. He says, you were slaves of sin and you were free in regards to righteousness. Here's this analysis. In the unconverted life, you were trapped in in sin. You were imprisoned in sin. Sin had so corrupted us that our affections were those of being fulfilled in our inmost desires. In other words, we just responded to the nature within us, which is sinful. We were slaves to sin, and we 
gave ourselves over to sin and when we were captive to sin, when we were locked up to sin, we were sentenced to death. And folks, we need to understand something. Our entire being was enslaved to sin. Our minds, our emotions, and our wills were under bondage to sin. You cannot say from a scriptural standpoint that one part was not affected by sin. You cannot say that my mind and my emotions were fallen under the penalty of sin, but not my will. Your will was captured by sin. So our mind, our emotions were all under bondage to sin. Long time ago, we used to have a commercial about E.F. Hutton. E.F. Hutton was a financial group that you could invest. And their commercials on the TV were this, that you'd have a crowded restaurant and there would be a guy there and they would show the restaurant and they would show the crowd talking. And as they talked, then all of a sudden it centered on one table and that person would say, you know, do you have a financial advisor? And the other person would respond, yes, I do. My broker is E.F. Hutton. And all of a sudden the whole audience, the whole restaurant became quiet and they leaned in. And the, capture, the caption on the commercial was this. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. Everybody listens. Now, here's what we need to understand. When sin spoke, when sin spoke in our unredeemed state, we listened and we obeyed. It was our master. But Paul goes on to say this. You were free in regards to righteousness. Now, what in the world does that mean? You and I, pre-conversion, were not controlled by righteousness. The non-Christian has no relationship to the righteousness of Christ. Martin Lord Jones said this, the non-Christian is not governed by righteousness. He's not controlled by righteousness. What controls him is himself, his own ideas, his own thoughts, his own philosophy. Indeed, he is ultimately controlled by sin and by Satan. So being free from righteousness means that you are without any power to fulfill God's righteousness. In fact, you are free to any obligation to even try to attain to it. In other words, no one was issuing you a decree to be righteous. You didn't have a righteousness mandate. Let's put it that way. You, in fact, the Bible says you don't even in your fallen state have the moral ability to even obey God because we were enslaved to our sin. We have no power to pursue it in that time. And in and of our own selves, we will not pursue righteousness. It is not our nature in the fallen state to even pursue it. In fact, Jesus said this, no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. That's a statement of ability. No one can. He didn't say no one may. He said no one can. It is a statement of ability. We don't have the moral ability to seek after God. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 3 says no one seeks after God. Nobody. 
unless the Father draws him. Now, I want you to understand this. We are so enslaved to sin that when in our fallen nature, we don't even want God until God intervenes in our life. And we cannot come to the Father unless the Father draws that person to him. Now, in that same passage of Scripture found in John chapter 6, it says, Jesus says this, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. No help whatsoever. None, nada, nothing. Then he goes on and says, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me. Now listen to this. Unless it is granted him by the father. Unless it's granted him by the father. You see what he is saying. He is saying in our fallen condition, when we were free from righteousness, God, if you're going to be saved, is going to grant you that ability to come to God, to come to himself through Jesus Christ, but not until then. Not until then. And so therefore, when God is drawing someone to himself, he then changes the heart. As he changes the heart, he changes the will. And then the will desires to come to Christ because now it has been made willing to believe. It's not vice versa. In other words, oh, I think I will come and then God will change your heart. No, God draws a person first, changes the heart, they are regenerated, and then they respond with their will because now their will has been made willing. As before, it wasn't because you couldn't. Even in Romans 8, when we get to Romans 8, we will see this repeated again because Paul says this, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those are the words of ability again. Same words that Jesus used. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't do it. They were slaves to sin. But the wonderful thing about this, we're slaves of sin. But when God redeemed us, when God regenerated us, when we came to know Jesus Christ, we've been moved now to righteousness. But one of the things that Paul does, and this is good for teaching your children as well, dear parents, if your children are there, it's a motivation. It's basically a motivation that basically says that you're going to be able to show people the consequences or show your children consequences of doing things. And you need to understand in your parenting, dear folks, this is a commercial, just real quick. In your parenting, folks, understand, explain to your children the consequences they will have when they make certain decisions so that you can teach them how to make wise decisions. Please don't just say, 
because I told you so, you're going to do this kind of thing. Give them understanding as they're growing up that if they make this decision, this is going to happen down the road. Consequences. Let them assess it. Let them understand it. Let them then begin to make wise decisions based upon what they see because they're looking outward to their consequences. This is what Paul did to this group of young Christians. He is doing this. Listen to what he says. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is what? Death. This is what he's saying. Notice what he's saying. What benefit did you get from practicing sin? Here's what it was. Here's the outcome of those things. They are what? Death. So he's trying to get them to understand, here's this part of your life. You continue on that way and on that path. This is where it's going to lead. You're going to get a fruitless allotment, a payment that's going to come to you, and it's going to end in death. You are now ashamed. When a person comes to Christ, they have new affections, new, new ideas, new mind of Christ, new desires. You look back on your life and you know where you were and you know where you are now. And looking back on those things and some of the things you did, you are ashamed of what you did. A true believer does not sit around and go, hey, boys, you remember, you remember you remember when we went out there and we got drunk and we did this? Man, wasn't that a good time? <laughs> but now I'm a Christian. He doesn't gloat in what he did. He does not gloat. He does not brag about it. He's ashamed of it. And then he reflects back on his new life. That is a mark of a true believer. They have remorse over a past life, but at the same time, they have praise unto God. They can say like in verse 17, thanks be to God, he delivered me from that, and now I am following him. That's what we need to understand. So we look at this, we see in verse 21, you aren't getting anything except death because now you are ashamed of this. But now look what he says. Here is this free acquisition that we have. He says, but now, verse 22, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You see what he's saying now. Here, this is what you once were. You were captive to sin. You've traded masters. You have a new master. You have this loving, caring master who gives you sanctification, who gives you eternal life. This is the master who's going to guide you and deliver you and love you and provide for you. He is your shepherd. You will never have another benevolent master as this. That's what he's saying. But now... This is what's going to happen. As you present your bodies as living sacrifices and present your bodies, your members as instruments of righteousness, guess what you're going to get? By walking in that, you're going to get holiness. The outcome, eternal life. That's the final accounting, verse 23. Notice what it says. For the wages of sin 
is death. The payment for a person to continue in sin is what? Death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. That's the final accounting. That as you stand before God and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, guess what's going to happen? Death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from him. I had a phone interview just the other day with a young lady who wanted me to do her wedding. Now, understand something about weddings, and when I do weddings, is, is, is this is what I'll do. I will do a Christian and a Christian. I will do a non-Christian to a non-Christian. I will not do a Christian to a non-Christian. I believe that's unbiblical. You just don't do it. So you have to interview in this. When I get this call to do this wedding, it's from a former youth of mine and tells you how old I am. She now has kids getting married. And she said, yes, both of them believers. But when we got them on the phone, I began to talk to the young man. As I began to talk to the young man, I realized this young man does not know the Lord. But the, the soon-to-be wife was answering all the questions for him. I would say to him, sir, do you know Jesus Christ personally? And she would go, yes, he has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, do you know that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? He began to say, no. And she goes, oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And finally, I said, ma'am, I don't mean to be rude, but I really need him to answer. So as we began to talk, we began to state things, we began to say things, realized that he, when he said this, I said, if God were to uh, say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? He said, well, because I've given back. What? I've given back. Can you explain that, sir? Oh, yes, sir. It means that I've done some good things and I've tried to give back to people, you know, as they've given me things. I give back to them. I try to do good to them. I try to do this. And I said, sir, what is your background? He says, I was raised Catholic. And I said, sir, do you realize that you do not get to heaven by giving back? And so as I went through the law with him and I went through... Uh, this and said, ask him, you know, have you ever told a lie? Have you done this? Have you done that? See, you've broken the laws of God. The Bible says because of that, we receive a payment. The wages of sin is what? Death. So I said, if you're standing before God now and you just told me what you told me that you compared to God's law of being good and you being good, you said you give back, you do this. Because you said that you've lied, you've stolen, you've committed adultery, you've blasphemed the name of God, are you a good person? He said, no, I'm not. Guilty? Yes. Heaven or hell? He said, hell. And then she broke in again. But, 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 but you know, he, he did pray to receive Jesus Christ as a Savior. And I said, ma'am, it sounds like he did. It sounds like he may have said something, but he just told us over the phone that he didn't have a clue what it meant to be a Christian so we walked through it a little bit more and then you could hear whispering and then you heard him come back 
Well, oh, oh, sir, I, I, have, I have asked Jesus to be in my heart. What was that? The whispering. Tell him this. Tell him this. And I got a text later that says, we've decided to go with someone else to do your wedding. Oh, uh, I said, okay, love to have the opportunity to talk with you again. So I haven't heard from them. But understand this, what was the wages of sin? Death, separation. And that's what people will have if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But the grace that is given, the allotment, the payment, the acquisition that we get, Notice what it says. The gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. One, we work, and all we get is death. The other is just pure, simple grace. Free gift when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. Spurgeon said this. The substance and the essence of the true gospel is the doctrine of God's grace that, in fact, if you were to take away the grace of God from the gospel, you have extracted from it its very life blood, and there is nothing left worth preaching, worth believing, or worth contending for. Grace is the soul of the gospel. Without it, the gospel is dead. Grace commences to save perseveres to all is done from first to last from A to Z of the heavenly alphabet everything in salvation is of grace and grace alone all is of free favor nothing by merit nothing by work by grace are you saved through faith and not not of yourselves it is a gift of God so then as he quotes John chapter 1 it is not of him that willeth not of him that runneth but of God that showeth mercy. It's grace. The question is, have you come and experienced grace from our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your Savior? You can by simply trusting in what he did in the cross. The Bible says this, and when you recognize your sin, that your wages of sin is death, if you think you've been good and you're just trying to get to heaven on your good merits, folks, you need to understand your sin has separated you from a holy God, and you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins and understand that God gave Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins, that if we place our faith and trust in him, we will be saved. We come to the Lord's Supper. This is what we do each and every month. We come and we celebrate what Jesus Christ did for us. The breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood, all for the forgiveness of sin so that he offers it to you graciously. You can't work for it. You can't do good things. It's all by grace. So today, if you need a Savior, call upon him where you sit you can say Lord I see my sin I understand that the wages of sin is death I have sinned against you I turn I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior if you do that the Lord Jesus Christ says he will save you he will save you and for those of us who are in this audience this morning that are saved we come to the table 
though we have visitors here today, and if you are visiting with us and you know Christ as your Savior, you are more than welcome to join us in this Holy Communion. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, do not partake in this. The Bible gives us warnings that if we take of this and we don't do it properly, not good things happen. In fact, Paul even says this is why some of you are sick. Because the Lord doles out discipline like that. So I pray that you would now enter into this time of worship and thanksgiving unto the Lord Jesus Christ by partaking with us. Men, would you come and let's share this meal together, this Lord's Supper.